When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Skate Podcast, talking Bruins hockey with WEI Bruins writers Scott McLaughlin, Bridget Prue, and Brian DeFelice. Lace them up for some beast talk. It's Odyssey's The Skate Pod on WEI. Woo! Welcome into episode 252 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian DeFelice, joined by Bridget Prue and Scott McLaughlin. Bridget and Scott, the Bruins, right of the ship after a I would say, if not their worst game of the year against Buffalo, right up there. Uh, they bounced back with a 5-3 win over the Arizona Coyotes, who prior to their contest had been rolling. Um, it had been noted that they had defeated the five consecutive Stanley Cup uh, champions and how that was the first time in NHL history that that had happened, which makes me laugh because I was thinking about this. Uh, how many opportunities did a team have to play five consecutive Stanley cup champions back to back to back to back to back, like maybe never. So it's almost like they, uh, they kind of got that by default by doing it, but Bridget and Scott, how are you guys? How was your weekend? And let's jump into our opening shifts uh, regarding the Bruins coyotes. I'm good. It was a good, good weekend. Uh, I, I always like afternoon games cause it really kind of frees up the rest of the weekend. Uh, had a, um, Belated Friendsgiving slash just Christmas party on Sunday. So, uh, yeah, feel, feeling great and into the holiday spirit. That and- is very belated, by the way. That is the most belated Friendsgiving. It's just it's a Christmas party at this point. Yeah, it kind of was. And we don't even like do Thanksgiving stuff. So it, it's just like a holiday get together. What do you have a Halloween party next week? <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, Fourth of July coming up first week of February. Yeah. You laugh, but. Um, my family throws parties where it's one day and we all pick a different holiday and we do a bar crawl, like an in-home bar crawl where each area is a different holiday. So, so like, like it's like Halloween town, like from uh, <laughs> the nightmare before Christmas. Yeah. There's a different holiday stops. Fourth of July. Yeah. I like that. Uh, Bridget, how was your weekend? It was good. Good. I was at Yale Friday, and now I'm, now I'm not. <laughs> no, no holiday parties for you. No, no friendsgivings for you. No, no, no Easter celebrations. No, nothing. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, let's jump into the opening shifts, then, Scott. Let's start with you. Well, as you mentioned, it was a big bounce back win for the Bruins, and they did it while losing their number one center in terms of ice time at the end of the first period. Pavel Zaka. Uh, left the game with an upper body injury and did not return. Uh, There was no further update after the game. Could get one uh, Monday at practice. But, yeah, the Bruins have to play the rest of the game down, uh, obviously a key player. And, you know, I think we're going to get into how they went about replacing him too because it was pretty fascinating. It wasn't just a matter of, okay, well, the other three centers get more ice time. In fact, Matt Potter was benched for the entire third period. 
Um, Morgan Geeky moved over to center. He got a lot of minutes. Trent Frederick even took some shifts at center. So um, it was a collective effort, but maybe not um, with the exact names you would have anticipated to replace Zaka. Yeah, and mine is kind of similar because Zaka goes down in-game, but McAvoy went down in the Buffalo game and didn't come back and also didn't play Saturday. So he he's out, Forbert's out on long-term IR, which we already mentioned last episode. But um, it came down to who was going to step up in the win and, and who maybe is going to have to step up the rest of the week, or we, we don't really know how long McAvoy is going to be out. But uh, after the game, Montgomery said, uh, 27, 25, and 48 were our leaders on defense. That's Lindholm, uh, Carlo, and Grizzlick. So that's who we thought was stepping up. But also, Scott and I uh, both saw different statistics of, about Ian Mitchell probably having his best game of the season. Got his most ice time of the year, above 18 minutes. It's only the second time this season he's had above 18 minutes of time on ice. And uh, I know Scott, you had another advanced stat about it. Um, but he he was hold, he was carrying his weight out there where they they gave fewer shifts to Laura and and Shattenkirk's line. Those guys had the the fewest minutes of time on ice, but Mitchell was the one stepping up and taking part of the load. Yeah, and Frank, before you give your opening shift on Mitchell. Not not even from the realm of advanced stats, but he was on the ice for four of the Bruins' goals. He was out there for four of the five. So uh, good. He was also on for one against, but still, you'll t- you'll take a plus three any day. And for me, I just keep continue to be impressed by Danton Heinen this year and his professionalism and his ability to impact this lineup in a in a positive manner. Uh, scores another goal. Um, against the uh, uh, the Coyotes, and it was a really nice goal. Uh, it was a goal scorer's goal, which not calling Dan Hyde necessarily a goal scorer. I'm saying it was a goal scorer's goal. Um, but with nine points in 18 games, he continues to score at a half a point per game pace. Um, and I don't – I should have done the math before, but I don't know where that ranks on the Bruins forwards, but it's probably, I would say, maybe good for like fourth or fifth. I would imagine you have Pashnak, Coyle, Zaka, and Martian before him, and then it might be Heinen. Um, I know he's in front of DeBrusque. He might be similar to Patra. But, look, it's a guy that comes in on a PTO, sits upstairs um, for the first couple of weeks of the season when the team is playing well and, and yeah, just waits for his, for his moment to even sign a contract. Probably could have signed elsewhere at some point, you would imagine, around the league. Um and he's just he he comes in and he's just he's he's a good player. He's just a solid player for this team and and I think he deserves um some stick taps from from the skate pod. Yeah. He has yeah. the same amount of goals as Jake DeBrusque in uh, seven fewer games. So, I mean, he's been contributing. Yeah, he's he's seventh on the team in points per game. And the only guys ahead of him, David Pasanak, Brad Marchand, Charlie McAvoy, Charlie Coyle, Pavel Zaka, James Van Riemsdyk. Um, he's right ahead of Pot, so Heinen at 0.5, right ahead of Patra, 0.48, Frederick, 0.46, DeBrusque, 0.44. So, um, yeah, abs- at, he's been huge. He's making league minimum, and he's producing like a legitimate middle six forward, which 
you know, I, I think we all know he's he's capable of being that, but he did have, you know, his production took a bit of a dip last year in Pittsburgh after he had a career high in goals the year before. Um, but yeah, he's really been a great fit and um, has provided some much needed offensive depth depth for this team. So looking back at the Coyotes game, where do you two feel the Bruins uh, excelled where they faltered against Buffalo? Well, I think start with the offense, which was just basically non-existent in that Buffalo game. Um, they really struggled to mount any sort of sustained pressure, you know, lose three to one in a game that it never really felt like they were in, honestly. And then you come out against Arizona against a goalie that's in Connor Ingram. That's been one of the best goalies in the NHL this season going into Saturday. He was fourth in the NHL in save percentage. Um, actually smack right in the middle between Swayman and Elmark and Bruins put up five goals and they do it while having to shuffle lines for, for 40 minutes with, with Zaka out and mixing and matching. And, you know, I think it's, it's kind of a, it's a reminder that, you know, sometimes how you're playing is more important than who you're playing with, because when the Bruins are playing, like they played on Saturday with, sustained forecheck and offensive zone cycles and getting pucks and bodies to the net. Like the lines don't matter as much. Who's playing with who doesn't matter as much. It, it really comes back to like those core tenants. And, you know, I think when Montgomery changes the lines up so much, when guys are healthy, it's in part because they're just not playing the right way. And so you, sh- you shake up the lines to try to shake up the team. Um, the reality is like, yeah, there might be combinations that in Montgomery's mind and our mind that are ideal that, that we want to see that we think are going to be, you know, the best fits going forward. And ultimately you do want to settle on something approaching, you know, regular combinations, but the Bruins showed on Saturday, like they can be a good offensive team, even without having settled the lines, if they play the way that they did on Saturday and not the way that they did on Thursday. Yes, but I also just want to like time out and say that that was not, it wasn't the prettiest win. I mean, they were dominating the first and then all of a sudden like things went stagnant and there was definitely a struggle in the middle part of the game to get things right. Um, the Coyotes didn't just roll over. It wasn't just like a dominant Bruins win at all. Um, yeah, and, and to be clear, like I'm not saying it was, I'm just specifically talking about the offense coming along. Yeah. And I think someone else that stepped up because of the fact that Zaka went down as early as he did. Zaka only had about six and a half minutes of ice time before he left the game and didn't come back for the second period or the third period. So, um, and we mentioned Matt Potra had a very low amount of time on ice. He only had just over eight minutes of time on ice, which is, is actually kind of similar to, to Zaka's, even though Zaka was missing for two periods. Uh, Potra was also missing for a period, even though he was there. Uh, he didn't find the ice at all in the third period. So uh, there was somebody that had to step up with both of those centers not taking shifts in the third, and that was Morgan Geeky. Um, Morgan Geeky was playing at one point uh, at, as if it was like a makeshift perfection line in the middle of Marshawn and Pasta. Like he found himself on shifts with David Pasternak, and that's not something that your 
he started out the game as your winger, fourth line winger. He ended up your game as the game as your top line center. Um, and I think he looked fine in that role. I, I mean, him, he was on the ice for the second Pasternak goal. He threw the puck like a kind of a no look, like spin around pass to the front of the net. That was a really easy goal for Pasternak. Just took it off the pads and put it in. So he, he muscled his way in on that play and helped the Bruins score. Bridget, to your point about the Bruins not having a pretty victory, Scott, I'm only asking you this, not because I'm lazy, but because I feel like you have just these magical subscriptions to these analytics sites. So maybe by the end of the podcast, we can we can find this answer. But I'm curious how many games this year the Bruins have been outshot. Because once again, last night, they were outshot by the Coyotes. Again, a team, The say what you want about the Bruins, but I feel like over the years, they've always been a team to outshoot their opponents for the majority. Now you can you can have discussions about if those shots were high quality or just perimeter. That's 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 fair. But the Coyotes coming into Boston and outshooting the Bruins, it's just something that never really happens. The Bruins getting outshot on home ice. And I just feel like it's been it's been a recurring theme and it hasn't really ailed them too much in the win category. But it's just something I've noticed. Like teams territorially um have been kind of I feel like maybe having the edge on Boston and the majority of games this year, if not maybe a little over half. Um, did you have anything on that, Scott, or want me to keep going? Well, I mean, just to highlight it, they've been outshot on the season. They're actually below 50% for the season. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I don't have the exact number of games, but to your point, if, if you're – they're slightly below 50. They're like 49.7%. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I think it's safe to say it's probably around half their games, maybe even slightly more, that they've been outshot. Okay, so yeah, so that that checks out. Um, so to the whole Patra thing, I, I find it, I understand what Montgomery's doing. He wants to go with the guys he has confidence in to close out a game. But I find this a little bit problematic um, long-term because I just think that if you can't play Patra, a regular shift in the third period when you're already down a center, what are we doing here? Because... You can play this game now in December, but you're going to have to trust this kid in these moments in the stretch run and into the playoffs. Like you can't, you can't just not have somebody be part of the game plan. Like, and and especially when Zaka goes down all game, you're going to run two centers, but because you have the luxury of flexibility, maybe some guy plays wing and then center for a shift of two to just to give somebody a break. But I find that problematic. You go down a center, and somebody who's supposed to be one of your top three centers just doesn't get ice time in the third period. What's I don't know if I agree with that, guys. I think that so I like I understand it at the same time. I I do think in this specific game, it's I it's concerning in this specific game with Zaka being out. Like we saw him do it previously. Was it the Montreal game where he didn't get a lot of shifts in the third? This time he gets zero shifts in the third, which I find to be if you don't trust them at all to take one shift, say after like a special teams, like, or just in general, you don't trust him to win the puck. Like, obviously we, we know he's a younger kid um, and he still has that part of his game to work on more than anything else, but without your number one center in there already, eh, you need guys to pull on the rope. And you would have thought that he would have leaned on Patra more rather than not at all. So to me, I understand like he was kind of Montgomery was kind of approaching it like, OK, I'm not going to put anyone out there that I wouldn't want killing penalties. Like you basically like trying to 
play a very defensive style third and Patra, that's not his strength in his game. So in that way, I get it, but you didn't really, you know, then, then you're, then you're stuck with three centers and one of your centers is actually a winger that like started out the game at wing. So that that's, what's the concerning part to me is they really don't trust them that much. And does that psychologically affect a player? I would say it's, it would be concerning if it's still happening in say the second half of the season. I don't I don't mind it now because I think Matt Potra does have a lot to learn and that's not any sort of criticism. That's just the reality of a 19-year-old making the jump from the OHL to the NHL and playing a completely new defensive system. He played man-to-man in juniors um, and really played more of kind of just an up-and-down, run-and-gun style. And now he's being asked to play zone defense in – on a contending team that is very demanding of its centers in terms of their 200 foot game. And Montgomery has said that. And he, you know, he's said like, it's not an easy system to play center in. Um, He's said, you know, like, yes, you you have to allow Patra and Beecher for that matter, some leash to, to make mistakes. And, but when the game's on the line, Montgomery said it after the game when he was asked about it. He said, I'm going to go with the guys that I think are going to get us the win. And we've seen quite a bit that he has shortened the bench in third periods this year. Um, I think because he senses that the Bruins this season more than last season might need those points. You know, we, we talked about it on a recent episode. Like, you don't want to slip into that whole cluster, you know, from call it like two to five in the division or you know, four through 10 and or 11 in the conference, like you don't want to be in that group. So you want to try to stay ahead of it. So in, in a game on December 9th, I don't mind Montgomery still saying, okay, Hey, Matt, there's things you have to learn. Watch on the bench, watch on video. We're going to keep going over it. We're going to keep practicing it. And eventually you're going to get put in those situations and be expected to perform. Um, so I'm not to the level of, to the point of concern yet. Like I said, I would be if two months from now we're having the same conversation. So yeah. I, I, I hear you there, Scott, and it's a, it's a good point, but I would say, um, it's not that you're assuming that they're putting val- extra value on these points early in the season to gain that cushion so that they can look back in the spring and be like, all right. We got the we got we got this cushion in the standings. We can we can allow Matt to 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 learn now, right? But but you're but we're assuming that I don't, I don't really think that's it though. I, I okay. I think he I think he's learning now, has been learning, and will continue to learn. And the idea is that by the second half of the season, he doesn't have to learn on the fly and play through mistakes. He knows what he has to do, and he doesn't make those mistakes. Okay, so he's gonna have to do a lot of that on ice learning in the first and second period until then. Um, and then, yeah, well, and, and by the way, like we, we saw yesterday, he has a costly turnover that leads to a goal that that was, you know, a, not a good play. Like he, he had Shattenkirk open going up the, um, you know, as, as the weak side defenseman through the neutral zone and he hung onto the puck too long and turned it over. So it's true. You know. Yep. It's true. He also, is the reason that Denton Heinen scored his goal because he outworked Absolutely. his opponent and yep. like led to that goal. So the reason that, you know, 
And that's, and I'll be honest, that's a play that he makes. That's very simple and it's not sexy, but I'm telling you right now, not, not everybody on the Bruins does that. Um, so I just think like, I don't know I, if I'm him, I could, it's, you're very much a part of the game. You're impacting the game as you illustrated Scott also with a giveaway, but you also, your work ethic, your work ethic leads to that goal, right? So you're sitting on the bench saying to yourself, man, I mean, if, if it wasn't for me on that play, like Heine doesn't go in and score, it's not 4-2, which by the way was a big moment because Arizona had stormed back a little bit there. Um, and now you're just sitting there, not one shift in the third, not one shift. And I'm, I just think like, I don't know, you you, you can shelter him and, and make him learn, but zero shifts, I mean – what is this game? Is this game seven of the cup finals? Like, come on. So I just found it a little bit, like a little bit harsh, like not a shift when he was impacting the game before that and was part of the game. And I don't know. I see it. I understand it. All I'm saying is I don't agree with it to the extent that Montgomery has been Benjamin in, in these periods. Cause you have to feel like you're a part of the team out there um, in all periods. But that, that's my opinion on it. Um, I, I agree. It's not like the end of the world right now. I just, I don't love to see it with a young kid who is, good enough to be in the lineup, good enough to be on the roster, good enough to impact the team in a positive way and negatively, but everybody does. And then in the third period, you're just like, okay, um, what, what, what room is the, is want me to fill the water bottles in again? Cause I know I see pasta's thirsty over there. It's like, it just, it sends a weird message, I think. Um, but that's just me. It's very, very high school hockey esque kind of. I cut. Yeah. I was going to say, it reminded me of like my worst basketball games where I was like benched and I was pissed off about it. So like, I don't know. Like, that's why I wonder, like I, we all have mentioned this before. He's seems like a kid that can handle it. Uh, that kind of whatever, like that mental struggle of being like, okay, what the hell? Cause he sat the game before too. He's back in the lineup after, after a, a healthy scratch, which we were told was load management, um, which I, I still believe it is. But when you put it, you put this, Right after that, it kind of makes you think, okay, um, was it really? But um, yeah, just kind of publicly looks a little bit worse than maybe what they've intended. Um, so that's that's part of it. And when he was when coach was asked after the game by Andy Brickley about uh, benching Potter in the third, he said, um, or I think he just said load management in the third in general. He said the reason why we shortened the bench was because we don't have a game till Wednesday. So he thought that guys, he wasn't worried about guys getting spent uh, cause they were going to have time to rest. I don't know what you guys think of that. Yeah. I mean, I think that is probably a factor too. Like if they were playing again on Sunday or maybe even Monday, maybe you don't load up guys with as many minutes. I mean, we mentioned geeky. He played the second most minutes he's played this season. Trent Frederick, played the second most minutes he's played. Charlie Coyle played a season high in minutes. So yeah, they clearly leaned on the guys that Montgomery trusted. Um, I will take this opportunity to plug that uh, on Monday morning, possibly by the time this podcast is up and people listen to it, uh, I have a feature on WEI.com on Matt Potter and Johnny Beecher. And we cover some of this stuff about, you know, some of the tougher ups and downs of their rookie season. Um, I think there's also some pretty fun stuff in there about them living together. They have an apartment together in the North end. So um, people should check that out, but uh, yeah, I guess, you know, one thing I would maybe question Montgomery on a little bit is 
when you do this because you're so focused on the defensive side of it, it does feel a bit conservative to me. And I do think at times that's bit the Bruins when they've been trying to protect leads is sometimes it feels like they do sit back too much and don't push for that next goal to put the game out of reach. And I do think as we saw with pot, you know, Potter bounces the turnover that led to the goal against came first, the bounce back to help create the Heinen goal comes after that. And I do think like, he can help you extend a lead. You know, like he he just, he has that offensive creativity. So that to me would be maybe be like the one criticism is like, are you, yeah, okay, you're benching him because you don't fully trust him to do the right things to protect the lead yet. But are you maybe swinging a little too conservative where you're at the same time benching, you know, a guy who's fifth on the team in five on five, points per 60 minutes like one of their top five on five scorers so um you know that's definitely like a fair flip argument but and also uh Pasternak extended the lead to five to three with what was like six minutes to go or something like that six seven minutes to go so so you mean to tell me with a two goal cushion against Arizona at home like you can't now you can't throw them out there for a shift or two like with a two goal lead in, in December, it it just it's it's conservative is the word, Scott. It's just I don't. It just it's 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 a little much. It's a little much, especially when they go up five to three. It's a little much. I don't know. And also consider this: when he was asked what when coach was asked what the message was to the guys that weren't getting shifts in the third, he he said we haven't talked about it yet. Like it wasn't something they went over in the intermission. It wasn't something they went over on the bench. He said, I'll get the message out Monday. And so as of us recording right now, maybe like we're not sure how much explanation was given to Patra and maybe some of the other guys who had their ice time cut down in the third period. And, and, and I'm not, look, believe me, I'm not, I'm not playing the world's smallest violin for Matt Patra. He's, He's a 19-year-old kid who's living the dream of playing in the, in the NHL for an original six franchise and, like, is a contributor. I mean, that's he's probably having the time of his life, and I, I don't think this is really bothering him. I mean, any day in the NHL is a great day for these players. But I just – I don't like – like, he makes the team out of camp. He's a, he's a contributor to this team. Yes, he has a lot to learn. But I just don't like the whole – like, it, you you guys are the ones that decided to keep him around. So keep him around. And I just think that by benching him in third periods when games are close, it's like when you're 17, five and whatever, like just let the, like let him, let him learn on the ice as well as on the bench. And I'm not saying to play him a regular shift in the third period, but you can't just completely bench the kid. It's, it, 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 it's not, it doesn't sit right with me, especially when he's sitting there saying, well, so I can't help protect the lead that I help create. It's just, it's weird. Especially it's weird. Like you see it more often when somebody has a specific mistake and then they're like, it's a consequence of like a specific message that the coach is trying to send. And in this, it's like, it almost feels like it's because we, we've talked to coach when, when Patra was out uh, for the whole game, he was healthy scratched. And he said, it wasn't like, it had nothing to do with how he's been playing. Uh, it wasn't a rookie wall. He said, he still thinks he's playing well, but it, you know, it just there's like conflicting optics and messaging with it. 
Um, and it's, it's not, I feel like it's not common, but also it's very uncommon for there to be a 19 year old playing. Like we, we don't see very many of those. So I guess you do have to take into consideration that the situation is different. And I feel like yeah, we all get our, like, like we're all on top of this because he feels like he kind of feels like, like just a little brother. Like he's got that like energy of like the the kid that like you're just supposed to like be like no that's my little brother don't don't do be any don't be mean to him. <laughs> well, and and not just a 19 year old rookie center, which is tough enough on its own, but on one of the best teams in the NHL. Like that's this isn't Columbus or Anaheim where they can just let kids play through mistakes and, you know, ah, okay, well, you know, you might've cost us this game here and there, but Hey, we're not really going for the cup this year anyway. So, you know, we, we can keep throwing you out there and give you 17 minutes a night. Like this is different. This is a team that's trying to win every game and trying to ultimately win the Stanley cup. Like that is their goal. So um, the, the demands and the expectations are, are just higher. They are. And like, yeah, Potter and Beecher could be in less demanding situations where they don't get healthy scratched or benched in the third period. But I'm sure they would tell you that they love being on a team this good to start their NHL careers. So, um, you know, I think I think they get it. Like I said, like I'm, I, I'm not at a point of being concerned yet. I would be if it continues, you know, like a lot longer than this. Um, the la- last thing for, for me on Potter is just the, because th- this is also new since the last time we recorded, but Montgomery said on Friday that there will be more scheduled nights off for Potter worked in going forward, that this is sort of like a bigger load management plan. that wasn't just one Thursday night in December. Um, he didn't say exactly how often, and he did say like, there's some flexibility to change it, you know, especially like depending on injuries and things like that. So, um, you know, he also said it is like partly inspired by what Anaheim's doing with Leo Carlson, which seems early returns seem to be pretty positive. Um, I don't think he's not going to sit that often. Carlson has been healthy scratch and I think it's eight out of 25 games. So it won't be that, but I think the, the idea is similar and, one other thing that I think, especially people I saw on Twitter, get the wrong idea of like, uh, he needed a day off after they just had three straight days off. And it's like that night off from the game isn't a day off. Like he's he was doing extra work in the gym that day on the ice before morning skates. So it's it's not like a, it's not a rest day. It's just a different kind of work. Um, yeah. And by the way, I, I, so for the story dropping on Monday, I talked to Patra on Thursday, which, you know, Thursday morning, which was the day he got healthy scratched. And we didn't know he was going to be a healthy scratch until, um, pregame warmups. And he gave no indication of like, he was in a great mood that day. He was laughing, joking around. So if, if he was like feeling really down about it and pissed off, he, did an extremely good job hiding it. Yeah, I don't think he was. I, <laughs> I, I sorry, Bridget. Go ahead. I was gonna say we, you know, we don't want to spend the whole episode talking about this, but there's two like specific things that like 
directions we can go off of it. Um, I want to talk about Lorai and kind of like what's been going on with him since he got called up. But also the the thing that we're, you know, part of the center conversation is Zaka going down and us not knowing when he'll be back or exactly what the injury is. Cause we, Scott, you said you went back and looked at the last two shifts he took and we, you know, none of us saw a specific play where we were like, Oh, it's a shoulder. Like, you know, it, we don't know what it is exactly. Um, but there might be a need to call up a center. Um, maybe we can talk about solutions at center. It seems like geeky is a prime candidate to move from wing to natural, his natural center. So, um, and when he was brought in, I think they, expected him to be the fourth line center and then Beecher won the job. So um, just want to talk they expected about him to be the, the third line are. center. It was, it was possible yeah. to beat him out for the job. Yeah, it's true. So he was, I mean, he is a capable center, so that's a great option. Um, but at some point, maybe do we see Jordy Markalov come up? Um, I, he would be the call up if they decide to call up a center, but I don't know that it necessarily has to be a center because as you said, like you can just shift to center and then your, your four centers could be coil in whatever order you want to put them in coil, geeky, Potter, Beecher. And, you know, Jacob Lago goes back into the lineup. There's your 12 forwards. And so it could just be, you know, a Patrick Brown comes up to be the 13th forward. Like it, they don't necessarily need to call up someone who's going to come play in games. No, but I, I bring it up because I saw Mark Diver, who is, um, you know, he covers the P Bruins a lot. Uh, he mentioned that Georgie Merkulov has been on kind of a tear recently. I'm trying to pull up the stats. Um, like he's been improving the whole season. And he said, especially his play away from the puck, he's looks a lot better than he did uh, last season. So I think the numbers were. Yeah. Well, I think he just had a five point game on. Saturday, I believe. So, yeah, he, he's lighting it up. I think he's like 21 points in 24 so, games. So he's he, he has 99 career regular season games with Providence, and he's got 81 points, which is 0.81 points per game. That's a pretty good sample size. What's a kid like that have to do to eventually get, get a look in the NHL? And I, I know we're talking about potential replacement here for Zaka being injured. So I know injury is an opportunity potentially, but uh, you know, hundred games is, is hundred games in the minors. And uh, I think and he's probably 23 or something like that. Cause he was an NCAA player. So I yeah, think but he left college early. Okay. Yeah. So do you guys think he's done enough at the AHL level in the regular? He is, he is 23 though. He's 23. Uh, yeah, he was he was like he was a late NCAA player. Like, so do you guys think he's done enough at the AHL level to earn an opportunity? It's just a matter of that opportunity presenting itself to him. Uh, I, I think he's getting really close because the big question with him was always his defensive play. Um, he was he was very raw before Ohio State and still very raw when the Bruins signed him. And that was always going to be the area where he needed to improve the most. And I think from talking to him and from talking to like Ryan Mujanel during development camps, um, he has definitely made progress. And I think that's what Mark Diver highlighted in 
the, the tweet that Bridget mentioned is yeah, I have it. His play, his play, yeah, his play away from the puck is really where he's made the biggest improvements and you know has been able to continue to score along with it. So he's he's getting there. Um, you know, unfortunately for him, he obviously didn't have well, I shouldn't say that he had a good training camp in preseason, but not the best. He certainly didn't stand out like Potter and Beecher did. And there's, you know, for a team that wants to contend, like there's only so many rookie centers you can throw in there. And I think they are all better suited to be centers than wings. Um, so we're, we're talking about like what Potter and Beecher as rookie centers have to learn. And, you know, if you throw a third one in there, like Jim Montgomery, you know, you can't like, you can't, bench like two or three centers at once. So I, I do think their preference would probably be to just shift Morgan Geeky to center, but um, Merkulov is definitely making progress for sure. Yeah. I just wanted to bring it up. I think it makes sense for them to just put like plug Lauko in, move Geeky over really easy, simple, um, nothing crazy, but the, the tweet I saw from Mark Diver, um, friend of the podcast, he said seven straight wins for the Providence Bruins, Georgie Merkulov, uh, was plus five, two, two goals, three assists for five points. He leads the team in scoring with eight goals, 13 assists, and 21 points in 24 games. And then he, like his analysis was he's been really good away from the puck, which was not a strength a year ago. If Boston needs a center, he'd be my choice, is what uh, Mark Dever said about Merklov recently. You know, while we're talking about Providence, and I know this is kind of off on a tangent here, but um, – Mark McLaughlin, Scott's cousin, as we've uh, discussed in previous episodes, I should say, clarify, I'm not actually his cousin for those listening. Um, he seems like a player, and, and again, I'm guilty for not watching Providence hockey. It's just not readily available. But, uh, you know, he's got five points in 24 games this year. Is he a player that maybe was sent down to the AHL to polish his game and maybe has – kind of regressed for one reason or another, just is it maybe a lack of confidence at not being at the NHL level or maybe just, you know, the game catching up to him a bit. What are you guys saying about him and, and just the Bruins centerized depth beyond the, the main club? Yeah. I mean, McLaughlin has to, has to produce more and it's, it's a little ironic because if you go back to last season, um, when, you know, we all thought like he was very close to making the Bruins out of camp and ended up getting sent down. The explanation was like, well, we know, we know what he can do offensively. We've seen his shot. Um, You know, we've seen that he can like get open around the net and he just needs, he needs to improve his all around game. And I think he's, I think he's done that. And I think he's worked at that, but maybe in the process, some of the offenses has dried up and um so he's got to find that balance and find a way to get kind of everything going because to your point, you know, whatever it is, five points in 24 games or whatever, like that's not, that's not going to get you a look like even on a fourth line role, there's, there's other guys who are going to be ahead of you on in the pecking order um, with that kind of production. Okay. So moving along to Bridget's opening shift, which was, the defense stepping up with McAvoy and Forbert out of the lineup. I'm not going to speak too much on it because it was your opening shift, Bridget. So I'll throw it back over to you. Yeah. So the two call-ups first was Lori when Forbert went out. And then uh, for the Arizona game, Ian Mitchell gets the call up to 
the ro- to the active roster in Boston. And he has been, I mean, he's an NHL player. He's a guy that's kind of on the fringe of this roster because it's such a good roster. Um, but we've seen his flashes of offense. And one of, one of those statistics that Scott was mentioning was just like heavily weighted in how, how good his offense was against Arizona. Um, so we saw him really step up and then you go to not just the call-ups because, um, you know, those two guys are, are obviously stepping in as the bodies that come in and, and replace them, but, uh, guys taking up more ice time and, and having to put in more effort. And the obvious guys are Brendan Carlo and Hampus Lindholm. Uh, Matt Grislick also asked to step up in that situation. And so I also thought it was interesting because when you lose McAvoy, you also lose your top, your, your quarterback on your top power play unit. And Kevin Shattenkirk steps in and he ends up with a power play goal. So there was all around, you know, a good effort from the defense. You saw different flashes of things you liked. I don't know if you guys agree or not um, with how they played defensively and, and who stepped up. Yeah, I think, I think overall they, they were a little too leaky. Like they still gave up too many good chances. Um, and Arizona, I think fairly easily could have had more than three goals. I think Linus Allmark was, was really good. Um, playing, playing a second consecutive consecutive game for the first time this season, by the way. Um, Swayman is back from his illness, but they just played it safe and went with Elmark again. Um, but yeah, overall though, I think like that was, you know, about as good as you can reasonably expect from some of those guys stepping up. I, I, I did think it was Ian Mitchell's probably his best game of, of the season, not just because he was on the ice for four of the Bruins goals, but I thought he was just making really simple, good plays with the puck all game. I thought he was moving it quickly, um, was involved in transition a few times, helped, helped keep offensive zone cycles going. So that's exactly what you want to see from him. Like that part of his game is more of a strength than his defense. Um, you mentioned the Shattenkirk goal, I think. I think both times they've been without McAvoy going back to when he was suspended as well. I think Shankar's done a pretty good job stepping up and, and handling, you know, more of like a true, well, I, I guess yesterday he was probably, he was still like bottom pairing minutes, but, you know, stepping into more of a role into a bigger role when, when he has to. Um, so yeah, they, they did what they had to. I, I thought Lorai's, First game back up um, against Buffalo, I thought was, you know, a little bit of what we saw before. Like I, I did think he was still kind of getting caught defensively at times and on the ice for some for some quality chances again against. I thought he was better Saturday. Not, I still wouldn't say great, but um, I think a step in the right direction in his second game up of of this stint in Boston. Yeah, and I think that also the biggest place you notice the absence of McAvoy and Forbert is on the penalty kill. Not necessarily the power play because they have a few guys that could step up and be that that quarterback, so to speak, on the top power play unit, Shattenkirk, Lindholm, Grizzly. They can all do it, do that. So you, you notice it more five on five and on the penalty kill. Um, but, you know, we, we've talked about the attributes that Mitchell brings. He's more offensive-minded than a Forbert. 
um, but not as, you know, nobody's replacing McAvoy. So uh, you just have to get what you can get from those guys and hope they don't make some big mistakes. To Back to Shattenkirk for a second. He actually had the fewest minutes of any of the defensemen in the game. Uh, he got some important power play minutes, like we mentioned, but he wasn't a guy that Montgomery mentioned after the game as like, okay, that's who our leader is on defense. Like like I said, he mentioned Lindholm, Carlo, and Grizzly. He did not mention Shattenkirk. And he hasn't talked too much about Lorai since the call-up because when we asked him about Lorai uh, the first game back, someone said, what do you think of him? And he said, I didn't think anyone was good today. He was just negative about anyone who wasn't really specific about Mason Lorai. So um, I think Ian Mitchell's trying to make the case of next time, you know, someone comes back from injury, don't send me down, you know, send the kid down, like trying to make sure that he's the the next guy up, not Lorai, because he doesn't want to find himself in that point of the depth chart. Yeah, I, I, I don't think they will. I mean, I think I think Mitchell's kind of carved out like at least that seventh defenseman spot for himself. If if not, you know, getting in over Shattenkirk at times, which we saw, um, you know, around Thanksgiving, like you know, Mitchell played over him in, in back-to-back games. So there's clearly at least like some competition there. And while, you know, while guys are, are injured, like he's, he's definitely going to be in there. See, I, I like Shattenkirk and not just because he's a former Terrier, Scott, but I just think like that, that Saturday night game in Toronto, um, you know, he, well, he also scored that game, but you know, he, he coughed the puck up at the blue line and, Toronto went the other way and scored, but the puck exploded on a stick. It wasn't like a, a clean pass that went right to Toronto. Like, you know what I mean? It was, it was kind of a, you know, it was, it was, a, it was a, it was an accident, unintentional puck explosion. Um, but besides that, I just feel like obviously speed's not his game. I just feel like he's a calming presence. Like he knows what he's doing. He knows the right plays to make. He knows the reads to make. He knows where to be. Um, I just think that, I like him on that third pair as a, as a guy that can just kind of, you know, be, uh, weather the storm when it happens. And he just knows what he's doing. He's been around the game a long time. He's been a winner at every level. And I, I like his presence back there. Um, but yeah, same sentiment. You guys all said that D did what they had to do with McAvoy out. And um, in addition to all Mark bailing out them in front of him. So um there were a couple. Well, I don't know if you guys wanted to skip ahead to some league uh, news that happened this past week. If we were done, uh, Bruins specific talk. Yeah, week. just I mean, just one last thing. We mm. haven't had a chance to talk about him, but Pasternak almost had a hat trick a few times. So he had that one shot that went off two posts and out, and he had two goals, and he almost had an empty net like to shoot at, but he he just made the wrong yeah. place and uh, could have shot a second earlier. Oh. Probably would have had a hat trick. So it was, it was close. Um, not to you know focus on some of the stuff that was more controversial. Like Pasternak had another great game and he has what 16 goals now on the season. He's, he's killing it. He's, he's on a really good pace. I believe a uh, higher pace than last season at, at this point. I mean, yeah, it, it, it is amazing. Like how, and we're guilty of it. And I think a lot of people are like, how, how easy it is to just not talk about like how great he is consistently game in game out. Because it's just like, like, we we go through all this stuff. It's obviously because it's a little more controversial. Like it's it's just easier to talk about. But yeah, it's like the guy had fucking two goals and an assist, like another three point game, and was incredible and uh, clearly the, like the number one star and why you won. So 
I think it was his. I think Nesson displayed it was, and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe one of you guys or somebody, some of the listeners can correct me in the comment section. But I think it was like his 184th career, like multi-point game or something like that. Um, and yeah, it's 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 impressive that he is. Uh, where he is in the league scoring, which we expect him to be a top five scorer in the league, but he's he's up there so far, and he hasn't even had to your point, Bridget. He hasn't even had a hat trick yet, and 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 he's you know, Pashnak is due for he's good for what feels like two hat tricks a season at some point, uh, and at least a couple four or five point games like that really just like skyrockets him. You know, uh, he hasn't really had those yet. He's had a bunch of two point games and a couple three maybe. Um, but yeah, he's just been an absolute offensive rock for them. This is one of my, one of my favorite stats that I've been occasionally checking in on this season, but we're now like two full months into the season and Pasternak still has as many three point games, seven as he does zero point games. Also seven, like it's, it's just crazy. Yeah. He's, he's a play, He's a player. All right. He, he doesn't, doesn't need much, uh, in this league to, to, to impact the impact the game. Um, so in Detroit, well, there was, so in Detroit guys, there was an incident with, uh, the Ottawa senators, Matthew Joseph and Dylan Larkin, along with David Perron. And was it Martin Zub? Um, it was a, it was a controversial play. Um, definitely some, some suspensions coming out of it. And then in Columbus, there was an incident with Nick cousins, uh, and the Panthers with Eric Branson, um, Hicka Branson from behind turtled and then Branson kind of got his revenge later on. Um, what do you guys make of all this, all this animosity going around the league? Isn't it, are these guys supposed to be friends off the ice? What's going on here? Yeah. I mean, the, the one in Detroit is kind of crazy because like it, it, I mean, Dylan Larkin was like out cold on the ice and it didn't look initially like, like the hardest hit to the head. It, you know, there's like a little bit of a, a little bit of a rabbit punch, a little bit of a cross check. Um, clearly like a penalty and then he, he does go down awkwardly and there's he sort of get has his head like jammed into the ice which is probably the worst part of it is like you didn't just give the guy like a rabbit punch you kind of rode him down into the ice Um, and then Perron responds with a cross check to the head to the wrong guy which is like like I don't know if like he didn't see what happened or what at like you see that from time to time where like someone goes after the wrong guy because they didn't they didn't fully see it but they know they want to stick up for their teammate but like even still you can't even if you have the right guy like you can't cross check him in the head so uh, I know Perron has um, an in person hearing with the Department of Player Safety on Monday which means it can and almost certainly will be more than a five game suspension. Um, and then for the Nick Cousins hit, like I I've thought for several years now that the NHL doesn't crack down enough on hits from behind. And I'm going to be really fascinated to see what happens with this one, because in my mind that should be a suspendable hit. And yet there's been a lot of those hits in recent years that don't get a suspension or even really any supplemental discipline. So I'd definitely be interested to see if, if anything happens there um, that had happened on Sunday. So I guess we'll also find out Monday. Yeah. Uh, so I saw the, I, I didn't see the Larkin thing live. I, I saw it this morning, Sunday morning, um, just kind of came across my feed and 
it was I had to watch it and I don't like watching these kind of things like you know not even the first time but I had to watch it a few times to figure out exactly what happened and like he kind of got hit from both sides at the same time as well and he was knocked out like he was on the ice he wasn't moving guys were like stepping over top of him which seems like there should be some sort of rule in place when like someone is motionless like get the hell away from them and don't like fight over top of them guys were they had like emotions running high and they weren't even looking on the ice and, and like I forget who it was someone someone on the opposite team was waving over the trainer right away and other people were completely oblivious to the fact that he was you know knocked out and it just feels like people should have a better there should maybe be a rule that makes makes people pay more attention to stuff like that but it was scary for a second he ended up getting up like Worst fear is like it was like a neck injury and like paralyzed, but that's not what happened. He gets up like on his own stands, but has to get helped into the locker room, like kind of kind of dragged and with his head down. It just he did not look good. And then I saw this morning he was getting scans, um, and they came back, you know, they didn't show anything. Um, but I'm wondering what the scans were for. Like I, I just I don't know exactly what that would be. Well, hopefully he's okay. It's, uh, yeah, it looked pretty bad on the ice. And again, like Scott said, it wasn't it wasn't too obvious because the initial contact didn't look too too crazy. But um, obviously, hope Larkin's okay. Gabranson's okay. He got up to pound Cousins. Not well, well yeah, I I like I watched that that whole game today because I literally sat on my couch the whole day um, and didn't do anything except for watch football, hockey, and. Uh, PC Friars basketball, but <laughs> uh, so that game was insane with Columbus. Uh, the, the reason why Branson was so like upset was first of all, Cousins should have gotten five in the first place, and he told the refs, "If you don't give him five, as soon as I step out of the box and he steps out of the box, I'm going to kick his ass." And he did. <laughs> so he was like, he's like, I'm straight up telling you what I'm going to do. And that kind of brings, you know, brings us back around to something you kind of said, Scott, which was, if you just get it right, if you get the five minutes and you know, the guy gets a game, his conduct doesn't come back and you don't see the retaliation from Branson, who then he gets ejected, uh, you know, for, for the fight, just like coming out of the box. And actually think maybe it was a shift later tackles, tackled them down to the ice and it led to all sorts of craziness. And then on Twitter, people are like, Oh, good Branson should be kicked out of the league. And it's like, I understand exactly why he did what he did. Not saying he shouldn't have gotten, you know, the game's conduct, but I mean, cousins it, he was policing himself because he thought yeah. that the, that the refs didn't do enough. Cousins could have ended his career if, if shit went bad there. Right. So yeah, he said, he said uh, that's a hit that paralyzes people. Yeah. So, well, why he was as mad as he was. Yeah, it, and like one of my biggest problems on this, and, it, and I think this is, like it almost seems like the the NHL uses to justify like not suspending guys for it is like you see good Branson do the check over the shoulder to like see if there's someone coming, but it's like just because you know someone's coming doesn't mean you can like get your like sometimes in order to play the puck and make the play you still have to have your back to them like sometimes there's just no avoiding having your back turned just because of the angle you're going in at and it like it's still has to be on the guy delivering the hit to not drill someone in the numbers two feet from the boards like that. So like, that's what gets me is like, you know, and, and this kind of goes like, I don't know if you guys saw like John Tortorella's rant a couple of weeks ago, but it was after the, um, you know, Hathaway Hughes. Yeah, 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 exactly. And he was like, you know, guys have to be 
guys aren't learning how to prepare themselves to be it. And there's some truth to, to that, but like there's still situations where you're just going to, you're going to be in a vulnerable spot and like it has to be on the guy delivering the hit to, to not deliver one that's that dangerous. Um, even if the guy sees you coming, like that's, that that's not a green light to run someone through the numbers. Kind of sounds like victim blaming to me. Yeah. It's on that guy to well, not get. Yeah. Beat. And the Hughes and the Hughes one too is, um, I don't know if you guys mentioned this too, but that was the ref, um, like not, not totally blowing the whistle. like that's like, he's putting that player in, in, in harm because the rules today, if, if the defenseman beats the guy to the, to the dots, you blow the whistle right away for icing. And the ref literally just went, you know, old school and just didn't blow the whistle at all. And it's like, well, buddy, you can't just revert back to, you know, hockey rules circa pre 04 Loco. Cause you players have now been playing for almost tw- for 20 years about with this new rule in place. Right. So it's like, what are you doing? Um, but you know, you see, you see David Perron stick up for Dylan Larkin with a, you know, again, Scott, you mentioned it cross checks, the wrong player in the face, uh, very, very dangerous play. Um, you know, Perron's, Perron's a little weasel. We know that from the St. Louis days, um, with the stuff with Krug and just in general, uh, we know Nick cousins is a, is a little weasel down in Florida. So these are two teams, Detroit and Florida that, you know, probably stand in the Bruins way this postseason. And so, um, if you're, if you're a Bruins player and a Bruins fan, obviously probably get ready for some nasty with these two teams. Cause they're not afraid to, I know Larkin was on the receiving end of something with Ottawa, but in general, Detroit plays with a little, little edge and we know Florida certainly does. So, um, two teams that I think will probably be in the Bruins way this year. We're talking about right now on this, on this podcast. Um, any, any closing thoughts from the two of you? No, I think, I think I'm good. No, I, I think, yeah, I think we're, we're good. You gotta, you gotta go get out of here and, and pick your girlfriend up from South station. If you're going to be late. Yeah, well, you know, we keep the personal stuff off the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Just throw me under the bus. Hey, I, I gave us an hour. It's 10 o'clock at night, you know? So there's only so many hours in the day to do stuff. Um, but anyway, uh, yes. So everybody have a wonderful work week, and we will talk to you very soon.